All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. Welcome into season four, episode two, sort of. I'm going to keep using that joke of the slightly above average <laughs> football fan podcast my name's andrew drozak i'm one of your co-hosts and i am joined as always by the man the myth the legend the best brew maker in town thomas bowen bowen how we doing well i'll be doing i'll be doing a heck of a lot better when we get done with this show because i'm ready to flush the south carolina north carolina game yeah, I, I have to agree. That's one of the disadvantages that you and I have of doing this show is when games like this happen, I don't want to go back and watch. I don't want to look at it closely. I don't want to analyze anything. I just want to pretend it didn't happen. But here we are, you know, to ease our pain a little bit and to maybe increase the suffering of our rivals. Let's start off by talking about a slightly more recognizable story of a team from South Carolina that lost to a team from North Carolina. On Monday night, Clemson helped our Carolina faithful, our fellow Gamecock fans, to sleep a little bit better by losing to the Duke Blue Devils in Durham. This was Duke's first top 10 win since 1989, or interestingly enough, against at that time number seven Clemson. And Thomas, before I get Ooh, your I did, t- not, I did not know that. Before I get your take, and we'll get more into it. I have to apologize to our listeners and to you for my very lazy Duke take last weekend. I pulled the exact, like, oh, Duke's Duke's terrible. They won nine football games last year. They were a pretty good team. And I got to tell you, I was impressed with their quarterback. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Mike Elko, uh, I don't even know what year he's in up there, but he's got them rolling. Like you said, nine wins last year. Um has just been churning out talent too. Riley Leonard, very impressive with that kid. Uh, I kind of thought he was going to be more of a game manager type, but no, he was a winner. He played really well. I was impressed. He did play really well. And I don't know if you saw, there was a tweet exchange between him and a professor at Duke where our, actually, I think he said it on the interview after the game. He asked his professor if he could have an extension on a paper he was supposed to have turned in before the game because it (laughs) was due by midnight of that day. And the professor wrote back, Three of your offensive lineman teammates turned their paper in early. You should have done Ooh. the same thing. No extension. And everybody's oh, man. everybody's owning that guy because they're like, this guy's clearly not a football fan. So oh, that's rough. Now let's talk a little bit about Clemson. Uh, they were moving the ball, Thomas. Uh, how long has Will Shipley been at Clemson? Twelve years, fifteen years, something like that. Yeah, I believe so. He's uh, he's coming up on state retirement, I believe. Yeah. Long enough for that neck beard to grow out. I know that. Ooh, there you go. Hey, uh, but he played well. Uh, they had a good running attack. They they passed well at times. Cade Klubnik had some some ill advised throws that were turnovers. Some bad throws there. Some questionable uh, play calling. There's been rumblings out of Clemson that uh, Dabo is once again something he was accused of during the Billy Napier era. Era bad bad weekend for Billy Napier, by the way. Uh, of interfering with play calling he's been accused of that again thomas what's your overall assessment of what we saw for clemson were they just not prepared they thought they were going to walk through this what do you what's your takeaway i I think it's interesting because and we've talked about this before you know they brought in a new hot name offensive coordinator uh garrett riley brother of lincoln riley 
as we all know, he was the air quote, the OC at TCU last season under Sonny Dykes. But the, the question has always been, can he do it or is it is it Sonny Dykes offense? So I don't think if uh, I'll say this, if I would almost hope that Dabo is meddling in the play calling, because if not, I would not be super impressed with Garrett Riley as a play caller. That's actually a very, really smart take. Like, if, if that was Gay, Garrett Riley's show, then you got to be concerned about what Garrett Riley uh, brings to the table. Now, uh, I was going to do this later in the show, but we're going to go off script for a second because you brought up TCU. How about what Colorado and Coach Prime wow. did to TCU, man? That was impressive. Shador Sanders. Impressive. Wow, dude. Just Wow. I love how Prime, you know, Prime's a brash dude. We all know that, you know, but like after that game, man, his press conference, I loved every second of it. We got receipts. We got receipts. We got receipts. You believe now? Oh, you don't believe. You don't (laughs) believe now? Oh, man. That was fun to watch. I'm pulling for them, man. Like I want them. They play Nebraska this coming Satterday. I think that's a win after the Marcus Satterfield experiment is clearly failing there as well. And then I think they have maybe Oregon after that. It's 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 a it's a you know favorable ish schedule. They do get USC at home. Sorry, the other USC. Um, but you know, got to be impressed in week one at least that they came out. They looked sharp. They looked prepared. They have a lot of weapons, and you can say what you want to say about. Dion and his level of coaching experience. He made a great point, though. He was like, "Yeah, I don't know anything about football. I only played in the NFL for 14 years and won two Super Bowls." Like, I mean, the man makes a point. He's a Hall of Famer, um, but he obviously has some good assistance because that offense was a well-oiled machine. Here, let me tell you. So, so yeah. <clears throat> so they've got Nebraska this weekend. Then they've got Colorado State. That should be a win. And then at Eugene. At Austin Stadium, that game could be if they go into that game undefeated, and let's say Oregon continues to take care of their business, that's going to be a big game. That's that's college game day <laughs> for sure. That's early playoff implications. That's just a lot of things, and you know we don't want to derail too much. But man, that was a fun game to watch. They play at noon uh, against Nebraska this coming weekend, and man, I can't wait to see it. Um, all right. Unfortunately, we got to jump into South Carolina versus North Carolina. Thomas, I said it. I said it last week. I said I'm always a sucker for the preseason hype. I always drink the Garnet Kool-Aid. Holy moly. Um, I Now, to yeah. my credit, I, I don't give myself a tremendous amount of credit, but I did say our biggest concern was our offensive line. And boy, was I right, uh, as were many people. Um, South Carolina's offensive line looked really bad. Um, yeah, maybe the worst I've, I can remember. I can't. South Carolina. I, I've watched the University of South Carolina at least that I can remember since 1994, and we've yeah. had some bad teams in those in that time, and that's that's one of the top like worst offensive line performances I've ever seen. I will yeah. say, uh, Anthony Wright, former USC quarterback, NFL quarterback for a long time, came out on Facebook and, and he made an interesting comment that what he noticed was that UNC was lining up on defense in an overload front, Thomas. And for our fans who don't know what that means, typically 
there are five offensive linemen and there are four defensive linemen or three, depending on the front. But when that happens, those guys are spread out. Those guys being the defensive line among the line. If you took that in of that offensive line and divided it in half at the center, you usually have two guys to one side and two guys to the other. If you're in a four man front, what they were doing was they were loading one side with three, leaving one man by himself. And then you didn't know what linebacker was coming. And, According to Anthony Wright, he felt like they couldn't figure that out, and it just threw everything off kilter. Uh, Daryl Delo said that they tried multiple things to combat that, and it just didn't work. The proof's in the pudding there. Um, you know. Hey, wait. Are, are we speaking of Delo? I think if 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 this offense doesn't obviously get things going here, I think we need to start calling him Dowell No Gains. Oh, oh. Yeah, I mean that's fair. That's right. fair. I mean that is fair. Um, oh boy, uh, Thomas, you said last week. You know what will the growing pains be with D'Lo as a first-time play caller? UNC defender came out and said that they knew what we were doing. We were tipping plays, and they knew when we were passing and we were running. But here's the thing about that, Thomas. If you watch the NFL, if you watch college football, heck, at this point, if you watch high school, the offensive line tips plays all the time. Tackles right. are in two-point stances all the time on pass plays. And I'll tell you what Coach Davis, my old head coach, used to say and winner of four state championships at Spartanburg High School, a great coach. He said, it doesn't matter if they know what we're doing. It doesn't matter. We could tell them before the snap, hey, guys, we're running sweep right. If we block it, you can, you can still gain yards. So right. even if they saw it coming, that does make it a whole hell of a lot harder. But if you're talented, it doesn't matter. I think about the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s. I once read one of their playbooks because I'm a playbook nerd. And on the first page, it was a message to the Cowboys from their coach at the time. I think it was still Jimmy Johnson basically saying, guys, they're going to know what we're doing. They're going to know what we're doing. We're not doing anything tricky. We're just better than them. We're stronger than them. And we're more talented than them. And we're going to impose our will. That did not happen on Saturday in Charlotte for the Gamecocks. And, and and here's the thing about that about about tipping plays. Like, yeah, I mean, I I, I read that too and, and heard what he said. But but here's the thing also. I mean, South Carolina was constantly and consistently behind the chains when it's third and thirteen. Everybody in the stadium knows you're going to pass. Exactly. I feel like South Carolina was so much was so often behind the chains and was just playing catch up pretty right. much the whole game that it, it and not to mention when they did run the ball they got nothing what did they finish with net like negative two rushing yards definitely negative yes but and remember in college football uh sacks count against that and spencer was sacked nine times that oh but notwithstanding spencer rattler played phenomenally can we talk about that absolutely that was where i was going next good segue because that's how good we are man that guy played tough you know, moved around in the pocket, kept his eyes downfield. No made, protection. Made some really good throws. And a couple that I can think of three big drops that may have even changed the game. And, yeah, you know, by a momentum swing, speaking of guys, I was very impressed. And I've read a couple things online that are saying that NFL scouts came and came away impressed with Spencer because of his poise under pressure him not having any protection, the way he handled it, and the way he performed. However, Didn't he have like a like a seventy something percentage uh, completion rate. 
I think he hit 30 of 39 passes, 30 of 39 yeah. passes. I mean, that's, that's solid. That's solid. Uh, yeah. Even, even with good protection, that's, that's good stat line. Well, and I think my dad told me we were sacked nine times and we had 15 pressures. So that's 24 times that he was essentially running for his life and still came up with some passes. Um, speaking of guys who performed well, Thomas, Xavier Leggett. Best nine, game he's ever had. Nine catches for over 100 yards. Looked really, really good. Very impressive. And was sitting on my fantasy bench. Ah, good choice. Sidebar, yeah. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> now, what would have helped with that is if we had Juice Wells. And Juice played in the first half. However, he was too injured to play in the second half. Thomas, we've got a lot of injuries. Yeah. A lot of them. It's time to hit that the ice bath. Yeah. Ooh, ice bath. I like that. Speaking of segues, man, we were we are killing it here. We are killing it because we've got a great deal for our listeners here. Andrew, if you remember back when we were in college, when we were, of course, well above 21 years of age. Certainly. Go to the gas station, pick up some beer. You need to get a bag of ice. What's the worst thing about getting a bag of ice from a gas station? It's just one giant block of ice. It's just one, one block of ice. giant block of ice. You got to bust it up on the ground. You get dirt all in your cooler. So I, I don't know why anybody still buys their bags of ice from gas stations. They used to be 10 pounds and they're eight. Now they're only seven pounds and they're almost $3 a bag. Why pay that when you can get a 16-pound bag or 20 pounds dumped directly in your cooler for only $2.50? These machines are conveniently located around the Columbia area, including Chapin, Irmo, St. Andrews, West Columbia, downtown, and even Eastover. And we have a special offer for you, our listeners. You can get one bag absolutely free. When you're standing at the machine, just text the word AVERAGE to the large yellow phone number with a bag slide out. Super cool, super easy. Try it out for your next tailgate. Participating locations can be found at tticlub.com slash Lake Murray Ice. Gotta love some pre-ice, man. It's hot. It's still hot. It's going to be hot hot in Columbia. We're at home this week against Furman. We're going to talk about them soon. You need ice. Your tailgate needs ice. And guys, we played really poorly. You might need a couple cold beverages to to prepare for this game coming up on Saturday. Make sure and get your ice with Lake Murray Ice. Thomas, we've talked about some offensive struggles in Charlotte. Unfortunately, in many ways, the defense didn't play a whole lot better. Talk us through that. Yeah, so here's the thing. Immediately during the game, after the game, uh, I was obviously upset at the outcome, but I was particularly upset at our defensive play. I was upset as some things that Clayton White had called or rather did not call. Here's the thing, though. I've gone back, and I haven't rewatched the entire game because I'm not a masochist. <laughs> but I have looked at the box score, looked at some different things, saw some different highlights, and I've kind of changed my tune a little bit. And if okay. you dig a little bit deeper, <clears throat> it wasn't as bad as it looked. Now, here's the kicker. Losing Nick Imanwari early in the game, that's the leader of the defense, back end or not. Phenomenal leader. You hated losing him. Uh, Mo Kaba, hated losing him again. Um, so that obviously hurt us. But here's the thing. So 168 rushing yards by North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Doesn't look good. You're having flashbacks of last year where the run defense was bad. About 50% of those rushing yards came late in the game on chunk runs. 
And by that point, the defense has been on the field like 60-something plays. I think it was something like nine rushes for 70 yards on those final four drives. So honestly, the defense did a pretty good job of limiting their run game for about two and a half quarters. And they were gassed at that point. I don't think you can ask a whole lot more in that department. Thomas, there's one thing I will say that I'm kind of, I guess, just a little concerned with. And, you know, it's just as an offensive-minded person, I watched our defense against North Carolina. We just seem to have a lot of empty space behind the defensive line. I know we have two linebackers. It just seems very open. Am I overthinking that? I mean, as a as an offensive coordinator, I'm going slant, 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 slant all day. No, I don't think you're overthinking that, particularly from this game, because I noticed that too. And I really think that uh, Chip Lindsey, new offensive coordinator in North Carolina, did a really good job scheming up for this game. Called a really good game. I think he did a good job of working our linebackers sideline to sideline and really taking them out of the picture a lot. Um, speaking of linebackers. I did see some improvement out of Stone Bland. I still yeah. saw him get uh, uh, a term of art here, bitch tossed, I think, once or twice. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, and took some bad angles on some things. But honestly, I saw a lot of improvement out of him. Um, uh, but the thing that was most concerning to me before I even get to the secondary here is the missed tackles and the whiffs in the backfield. I think we only had, what, one tackle for loss? Was that it? One. One, one tackle for a loss. Debo Williams had one tackle for a loss. That's the most damning stat that I can think of. And there was there was at least two more that were left on the field. That oh, were sure. Whiffs, bad oh, sure. angles taken. Um, and that is that's 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 fundamental football, and that's something that you shouldn't have trouble with at this point. At this point, when you're starting the season, um, I thought the edge guys did well uh, with absorbing some of those pulling linemen, uh, stuffing some of that run and really setting the edge as one of my favorite terms is secondary. Again, losing Nick E was was really tough for that defense uh, and hated to lose him that early. The good and the ugly. Fortune. Fortune played well. I really like his intensity on the back end, tackling. I think Marcellus Dial only gave up one completion. Keenan Nelson did uh, not look good at all. Um, he was and he was exploited big time once they saw how flat footed he was. Yeah, they they that was as an offensive guy. That was what we call. There's the week. You know what? There's the week. You know what? Like we go at him every time until he proves to us he can stop it. He did not look good. He looked confused. Um, you, you said it perfectly, flat-footed. Um, you know, we've talked about it a couple times on this show. When you're trying to think as a football player, you're slow, and he just looked very uncertain. Yeah, yeah, you're you're spot on with that. Um, I think, and even even the scrambles by uh, by Drake May. Those, as best as I could tell, there weren't any really design runs that no. I could remember, and it was because he had nowhere to go with the ball. That was really good coverage on the back end. So I think, right. I think we do have to give credit where credit's due there. Um, but I'm glad that was cathartic. I'm glad I was able to get that out of my system. <laughs> now let's flush it and let's 
Let's go. Tell me, tell me how this offense is going to improve my outlook whenever I see them against Furman. Well, um, you know, I, I'd love to be your therapist here and and tell you brighter days are ahead. And I do think, <laughs> you know, we're going to be all right, but for this week anyway. But South Carolina has to make major improvement on the offensive line. That 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 yes. goes without saying. D'Lo said in his presser, and I, I I tell you, Thomas, one thing I'll point out. I respect him for this. He was asked a, a question of essentially who played the worst, who who did the poorest, and he would not answer it. He said, "Good, he shouldn't answer that." That offensive line, and I loved what he said. Offensive line is about five guys looking through the same set of eyes, and oh, that like is it. dead on. As a former offensive lineman, a former offensive line coach, that's what you need. You need, I talked about it last week, a hive mentality. I got to know what my brother's not good at. And, you know, my poor, the guy who played beside me, Rashad Sullivan, loved Buddha. He just knew I was bad at everything. So he just took up for me all the time. But anyway, it, there was no cohesion. I don't think, Thomas, that it was the confusion we saw last year where, or in the year before where guys were just like, I think we're supposed to do this. I think we're supposed to do that. It was that it just, we hadn't played together. You know, Shane Beamer, love him, I do. Or if you call him defensive impressors, he can be. He was very defensive and basically said, actually, I think pretty much said, I don't want to directly quote him, get your, get your shots in now on ROL because they're going to get better. And Coach, I, I, I literally hope you are right because holy moly, um, if, if I'm Spencer Radler and he's an ultimate competitor and I've really fallen in love with the kid, I'm, I'm not, look, I mean, you know, can't look past people, Thomas, but I'm thinking about the Georgia pass rush. Oh God. And, I, I just hope he doesn't get killed. Like he's, he's got to be ready. All right. Anyway, getting back on topic. Another thing that Anthony Wright, former USC and NFL quarterback, I'd love to get him on the show. I'm going to try and make that happen. He talked about in 1996, when he was at South Carolina, they played Mississippi State with good old Joe Lee Dunn, the mad scientist <laughs> of defensive coordinating. And he said, man, guys were coming from everywhere. Me and the line, we just couldn't figure it out. And we were shook up. We couldn't decide. Like, we were seeing ghosts. We were seeing Zach, famously Zach Wilson of uh, of the NFL, uh, New York Jets, BYU. He said one time after a game, they heard him on, I can't remember it exactly, but he said, I was seeing ghosts out there. That's what happens when defenses are doing this to a quarterback. You start seeing pressure when, when there isn't there. I've coached games where I've used that exact phrase, our quarterback seeing ghosts. He's, he's, he's running out of the pocket or he's, doing this because he thinks pressure is coming but it's not actually there now i'm not spencer did not do that spencer hung tough there was one pass early in the second half tom or early in the first half thomas he took an absolute shot and oh, yeah. delivered a laser so it was it was something impressive here's what i here's what we got to do we got and you and i've had this conversation and, you know, it's a message board thing that you hear all the time, but I, I truly believe it. If older, more experienced players cannot perform 
to where we need them to, I would rather have younger players get in that role. Give them the opportunity. I'm not just saying sit the junior, senior on the bench. Give the give the true freshman, the, the redshirt freshman, give Tree a shot. What can they do? What can they do? The very first episode of this show, Thomas, season one, episode one, I had Jeff Barnes on here, former Gamecock offensive lineman, fantastic human being, great offensive lineman. He talked about his first start was in the swamp against Oof. Alex Brown, and he weighed 290 pounds at the time. So you can give a guy a shot. You can give a guy a shot. Let's see what happens. Thomas, the biggest thing schematically for me, we got to get a little bit quicker with the passing game. The one complaint I have about the, the play calling, a lot of long developing pass routes. Took a while to get the I mean, it wasn't that Spencer was holding the ball. It just took a while for the play to develop. And mm-hmm. offensive line's not going to play well. You can't make your quarterback do that. Again, also, if you're having trouble in protection, if you're having trouble in the run game, your best friend is the screen pass. Start running some screens. They start getting super aggressive, coming up field because they're putting their ears back and they're beating you. Run the screen. Use their aggressiveness against them. Outside screen, inside screen, tight end screen with Trey Knox. You got to get creative. You got to get creative. Here's the thing about playing a team like Furman, who we're going to talk about here in literally just a second. They are a good FCS team, and I'm not saying they aren't, but this should, emphasis on the word should, be an opportunity to experiment and to get some guys some experience. But as I say that, let's talk about Furman. Furman was chosen as the number one team in the uh, SOCON, the Southern Conference, uh, preseason. They, I think they're number six in the country in their division. Uh, went to the second round of the playoffs last year. Thomas, their defensive coordinator has been at Furman in various roles for 13 years. He became the uh, DC, I believe, in 2017. They are multiple. They they tend to be more three down linemen, but they'll use that stand up buck or bandit end as a fourth down down yeah. lineman. They also and Thomas, like we just spent a lot of time talking about, they will instead of rushing that guy, the end man on the line of scrimmage who's standing up in a two point stance, he may drop back in pass protection or in, in excuse me in pass coverage, and a linebacker comes from the inside, which we struggled mightily with. So. And here's the other thing about defensive coordinator Dwayne Vaughn. Dwayne Vaughn played at Furman. He was a four-year All-SEC academic honor roll kid. Good for him. Uh, obviously a smart dude. He's pretty young, Thomas. I feel like he's like quit playing or graduated from Furman, I should say, or excuse me, Vanderbilt, and went straight to Furman and started coaching. Like He's been there forever. When I saw he was a 13-year veteran, if you look up his picture, he looks younger than you and me. But... <laughs> Last week against uh, Tennessee Tech, who was their first opponent of the year, they had a lot of three-man line. They do like to, to slant, and, and and what I mean by that, fans who may be unfamiliar with that, a lot of times defensive linemen come straight up on a gap. They're coming literally straight across the line. When they slant, they are slanting one gap over, 
and they are trying to disrupt the offensive line blocking scheme. I saw a lot of that. Thomas, this defense has three first-team all-conference players on it for the Southern Conference. Linebacker, number 43, Braden Gilby. DB, number six, Hugh Ryan. And DB, number one, Travis Blackspear, who had a pick six in their first game last week. And then they have three more players, or excuse me, four more players on the second team, all-conference defensive team, a third DB, and all three of their defensive linemen that are their regular starters. Thomas, this is not the little sisters of the poor. No, no. No, it's definitely not. Um, and and the thing is, is uh, yeah, like you said, they, they also, last year, this offense for Furman, second year offensive coordinator Justin Roper, I did a little digging and I cannot find out if he is Kurt Roper's brother, but I don't think he is. I He's don't not. think he is. He's uh, not. He dug a little deeper than I did, apparently. <clears throat> second cousin's third removed my mailman's friend's brother's sister. So that sounds, makes them nothing. Sounds sounds about right. Um, That's a Spaceball but, reference, folks. That's a Spaceballs reference. Second year here. Uh, last year, they averaged, this offense averaged over 33 points a game. In around 422 yards a game. They did play Clemson last year, lost 35 to 12, but still rolled up 384 yards of offense. Like this is a good, a good offense. Last week in the 45-10 win over Tennessee Tech, 221 rushing yards, 190 pass yards. Like, I don't know if you've watched any of this offense, but like it's kind of fun. It is a fun offense. I've watched it. It's it's a it's a good time. It really is. I like what they do. It's creative and interesting. Um, Furman, you know, traditionally Furman uh, in the FCS, they've, they've been, you know, always a competitor. You know, they, they've they been a team that's, for the most part, been respectable. Um, but, Thomas, what kind of what kind of defense do we need to run to try and shut this thing down? Yeah, so that's the thing. And 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 in my in my research, look, I'm not doing a deep dive on Furman here, but uh, I pulled up <laughs> some highlights. Uh, you know, I saw, saw some things, made some quick notes here and there. They operate primarily out of the shotgun. You're going to see some 21 personnel, that 21 personnel being two running backs and one tight end. Sometimes they'll take that back and motion him out. You'll see some 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, out of the pistol. And we talk about the pistol. The quarterback is back from the center, like in the shotgun. But instead of a traditional shotgun where the running back is off to his side, running back is directly behind the quarterback a few yards. So call that the pistol. Um, And it's a little shorter distance. That's why they came up with the pistol. Football coaches aren't that uh, creative. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll see some bunch sets. They like to do perimeter runs and jet sweeps. So so here's one thing that I noticed about this offense. Um, their quarterback, <clears throat> who does have some legs on him, he can run. Um, so he is a threat there. But he's mostly doing half field reads. You and I have talked about half field reads before as quarterbacks, meaning that he's pretty much – and and this is a very basic dumbed down version of it, but they might come out and they say, look, we got a man beater on this side. We got a zone beater on this side, come out see what side or what defense is giving him this zone. Okay. I just got to read this side of the field It's man. Okay. I got to read this side of the field. He's locking on left or right. Um, so half field reads, 
man beater versus zone beater. One and way so, you've got to sorry to interrupt you there, but sometimes that can also be cover two to one side, cover two beater to one side, cover four beater to the other side. So it's it's again he's looking at the defense. So in the defensive world, you know, for our fans, if there's two high safeties, that typically means cover two or cover four. I mean there's two deep guys or there's four deep guys. A center safety by himself means cover one or cover three or maybe man. So the quarterback's kind of making that decision as the ball's being snapped with some help from the sideline to go, oh, okay, they're running X. I need to look this way or that way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great, great addendum there. Um, so when when you're dealing with half field reads like that, you've got to disguise your coverages because you want the quarterback to think you're running one thing when you're running another thing. Banjo coverage. We've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. I love banjo coverage. Love it. This is man coverage, man-to-man coverage that looks like and plays like zone coverage. And the way it breaks down is typically you're going to have a press defender that's up on the line like he's playing man. He's going to jam that receiver. He's disrupting that release, and he's going to have another defender behind him. So the press man is going to take anything inside. The man behind him is, is covering the outside and the vertical. So once initial stems are declared by those wide receivers, whichever way they're breaking, they've got to see which way they're breaking. Once those are declared, then the DBs lock on and play man. It works really well against bunch sets too, uh, where they run a lot of rub routes or pick plays where you're literally trying to pick defenders off the ball. So that's how we're handling the half field reads. Pistol sets. Pistol sets is, uh, and I did do a little bit of a dive on this today because I haven't looked at a lot of defenses or, or, or a lot of defending pistols. So feel free to jump in anywhere you, mm-hmm. you want mm-hmm. to here. But <clears throat> guard keys. When I talk about guard keys, linebackers. Linebackers need to key on the guards. Typically, a linebacker is keying on the running back or the quarterback, one of those two, because that's going to tell them where they're going, watching the quarterback's eyes, run, pass, key on the guards. Instead of keying on that running back because you can't see him, you can focus on the guards. Focus on pull, low hat, high hat, meaning Mm -hmm. that if one of those guards pulls, then it's definitely a run play because he's swinging around to try to kick out somebody on the other end. Low hat, it's a run play because he's firing off the ball. He's trying to push that defender back. High hat, he's stepping back into a pass play. So I think guard keys are clutch here. Absolutely. And, you know, one of my old coaches, Coach Chris Miller, great coach, He, I used to hear him say all the time to our linebackers, um, don't, don't look in the backfield. Don't trust the running backs. They'll lie to you. Trust the offensive yeah. linemen. Follow where they're going. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna always take you to the ball. And that's 100% accurate. You know, and the thing about the pistol, Thomas, and this is so key at the college level and then the NFL level, when you get to this level of football, the ability, and you hear uh, defenders talk about this all the time, they talk about where their eyes are. Where are my eyes? What am I looking at? And the depth, because when you go to that pistol, which sounds so weird, but that pistol being just slightly shorter, just slightly shorter angle can screw up linebackers and safeties because it changes your angle of attack. And, you know, it's, yes, you're 100% right. Guards will take you to the ball. Guards will take you to the ball. And Guards so, never lie. Guards guard, never lie. Guards never lie. Follow them. But it's hard because you you get, you get into a situation where maybe you've given up a, 
seven, eight yard, maybe even a 10 yard gain. You're frustrated. You're like, oh man, I got I to make a big play here. And now I'm looking at the running back and he's countering and all of a sudden there's a guard on my hip and I'm done. Like you, you, you got to, you, defenses at the college and NFL level, and Thomas, I know you agree with me here. You hear this all the time. I discipline. I discipline. Yep. You're looking at the right thing. And that's going to be key for the Gamecocks this week. Yep, yep. I think you're right. Um, and, and, again, I think the the defensive ends need to continue to play well. They did a good job of, of setting the edge last week, push everything back inside. Um, I, I'm looking – I'm looking for some e- even more improvement out of this defense. I got to be honest with you, Thomas. <clears throat> if I had to pick a defensive group, I was the most defen- uh, um, frustrated with, if you will, the D tackles. Um, I-, I think we yeah, have didn't a- see a lot of push. I just feel like we have more talent than that. Um, and-, and they got driven off the ball a good bit. Now, I don't know. You don't know. We don't know what the game plan was, were there loops and stunts and slants, who knows, but goodness gracious, after a little while, if you're getting pushed off the ball, you just tell them, guys, we're going to go fire off and yeah. like hold up an offensive lineman, you know? Yeah, and that's, and, and that's the thing about this defense. Like it's not, I, I don't think this defense is really built to be like what I call like a melee defense. Like I agree. They're, they're, they're not, they're not a Brent Venables defense where they're missling into the backfield. They're more about, you know, maintaining gaps and and plugging holes. But like you said, that's that's all well and good. But when you're getting drawn, driven off the ball, like, yeah, you, you're never going to get a push there. At a certain point, anybody who's ever played the game of football, particularly on the line of scrimmage, linebacker, D-line, offensive line, running back, You've you've done a drill called a board drill. And a board drill is literally there is there used to be in the old days there was a wooden board, but now they're rubber that that is between you as an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman. And your job as the offensive lineman is to drive that defensive lineman back, and you and your teammate go to the linebacker, and your running back makes a read off that. If at the most fundamental thing about football, Russ Grimm, a former NFL. Uh, offensive lineman used to say this there's no more satisfying feeling than driving a man backwards against his will <laughs> if you can't do That's that intense. if you can't do that you can't play the game very well and south carolina did not do that well and they also didn't do it well on defense thomas they also didn't stop themselves from getting driven back that's getting on skates and it you know, I got to be honest with you. That was disappointing. I you know we're not going to rehash anything here, but there needs to be major improvement. And Thomas, I'm going to go off script here because I saw it right before we started recording. And I think this is an overreaction, but I'm still going to ask your opinion. Luke Day, our strength and conditioning coach, has caught just a little bit of fire here recently. Are we strong enough? Are we doing the right things in the weight room? Are we doing the right things in conditioning? Do you have a thought there? Or do you think, you know, listen, football's football at this point? No, well, I, I will say I feel like every couple years or or every every strength and conditioning coach, this argument comes up, you know, at least once during that strength and conditioning coach's tenure. Sure. Um so I don't I don't really know that I know enough about it. Uh, I will say that 
I feel like we have an awful lot of injuries and, and I know that can go yeah. back to strength and conditioning as well. Um, so I don't know. I just feel like with all the technology we have and that they use even for practices and games and everything, I, I would hope that they're in tip top shape. Uh, but I don't know, man, I, I just think that's out of my wheelhouse. Well, and I agree with you, but I will say this in my time in coaching, there are certain staffs and certain philosophies that they value speed over strength. They value speed over strength. And that can be an issue at the point of attack, especially in the top level, but that will we'll digress. That's a story for another day. Thomas, before we head out the door, there's a big game this weekend and it's Texas at Alabama. Man, I had totally forgotten this was this weekend until uh, until earlier this week when I saw it in the notes, and I was like, "How did I forget that?" Yeah, that's that's a very interesting game. That's a very interesting game. Um, Alabama, you know, in the spring, it was that. Do they have a quarterback? Is it Jalen Milrow? Is that how I say his last name? Yep. Yeah, Milrow. Okay. He he looked very good. I mean, it was it was not a great opponent, but he threw the ball well. They all know we can run. Uh, yeah. you know, we've heard the Paul Feinbaums of the world after Duke beat uh, <laughs> Clemson called Napo's uh, dynasty being over. What if I'm just going to play the what if game? Uh, I, I haven't I haven't broken down this game at all. I'll be fully honest with you. I looked at it from a film standpoint or anything like that. What if or excuse me, Texas rolls into Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and puts a whipping on the boys of the Crimson. What does that mean on the greater scale, Thomas? I think it means that that, um, you better get your winter clothes out because hell is freezing over. Because (laughs) I I don't don't see it. Um, I I don't I hope that that this game is good. I think uh, Alabama's favored by seven over and under fifty four and a half. Um, here's the thing: I, I didn't I didn't watch much of Alabama last week or or Texas last week. Texas's strength is definitely their defensive line. I think they legit have one of the better top defensive lines in the country. The key for Texas is really going to be if they – you mentioned it, Jalen Milrow, if they can contain him in the run game. If they can bottle him up, I think Alabama's going to have a tough time scoring. Um, on the flip side of that, can Texas hit the deep shots to open up the offense? Ewers, uh, who, if you remember, in the Alabama game last year, uh, they took him out. Ewers got injured in that game. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, you know, he he wants to little, get a little bit of a revenge factor there. But – Last week against Rice, Ewers was 0 for 6 on passes 20-plus yards down the field. That's that's not super inspiring uh, for your ability to hit the deep ball. Um, I think it's been an issue for him for a little while. You know, Alabama was prone to giving up some big plays last year, and I think they've got some guys banged up. I haven't really looked at their injury report. But, um, you know, it's, it's Saban. It's in Tuscaloosa. Like, you're not betting against that. No, I agree with that. I just like to play devil's advocate. Before we, one last thing before we leave, you know, it was a bad weekend in college football for the state of South Carolina. Lost a lot of games. South Carolina lost. Clemson lost. Wofford lost. South Carolina State lost. But one program held strong. 
Newberry College Red Wolves got themselves a win. I want to give a shout out to my boys from there. Ethan Seiler, Jason Jolly, Jake James. Good job, boys, for getting that win and holding that flag for us in the state of South Carolina. Hopefully the rest of us can play a little bit better this coming week. Thomas, as we head out the door, tell the people anything you want to tell them. I want to tell the people to let's go out there and find some joy and let's enjoy some good football this weekend. And we'll come back with a better attitude next week before we get bludgeoned by Georgia. (laughs) I agree. Get your ice at Lake Murray ice. Use our code. Get you some free ice. Thomas, I'll see you later. See you.